Welcome, everyone. Welcome to worship. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. All of you in the overflow this morning. James Weekly, Aaron Talley uh, leading back there. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of worship. Uh, Brian Ahern, I dreamed about you last night, man. We talked on the phone in my dream last night. That probably means we should call each other this week. Uh, Brian, Church on the Square, we love you guys so much. I hope it is going to be a blessed Easter season for you all. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. As we continue wrapping up now that this series, 24 hours, look at the very last 24 hours in the life of Jesus. One of the greatest parts of growing up for me was, was Saturday morning. I would get out of bed early. I would get a big bowl of cereal and go sit and watch Saturday morning television. It was the only time of the week that television was any good uh, when I was a kid. Now, do you all remember those days? Well, tell me what you watched. What did you watch when you were a kid? Say it. Yeah, Beverly, what'd you watch? Mighty Mouse. Yeah, anybody remember Mighty Mouse? Yeah, Mighty Mouse was awesome. What'd you watch, Mike? Did you watch anything different? You were seconding Mighty Mouse there. Yeah, yeah. What'd you watch? What'd you watch? Bullwinkle. Oh, and Natasha. Yeah, yeah, Rocky the Squirrel. That was so good. Bullwinkle and Rocky the Squirrel. That's great. Y'all are thinking we're 100 years old, aren't you? What did y'all watch? Teenagers, what did you watch when you were kids? Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Linda, you're not a teenager. Yeah. But Tom and Jerry were, were excellent. Yeah. What did you watch? Roadrunner. Yeah. The Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour was the best hour of my week. What was so good about Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner? I mean, they, they were incredible. I miss them. Honestly, the other day I got up and turned on Saturday morning television, and my son and I both agreed that it's horrible now. It's really lame. Kids' shows are really, really lame now. Nothing, nothing like Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny. And actually, I hate to say it, but you know what's missing? Violence. I, I kind of miss violence. That's sort of what made, you know, I mean, that's what, didn't you just love a number of FUD would come out and, and blow Daffy Duck's beak off and, and his beak would spin around his head and land on top? Man, I, I'm sorry, I love that. I just love that. I loved Roadrunner and, of course, the, 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 the coyote, Wiley Coyote. The thing about the coyote was he blew himself up 60 times in the hour. He just blew himself up, but you never worried about it. Why did you never worry about the coyote? I mean, he'd go off the cliff, and you'd see the poof, little puff of smoke at the bottom. He would blow himself up. He got crashed and, and, and banged up. But, but no matter what happened, he always came back in the next scene. So you never really worried about him. You never worried about him because he always came back. And honestly, I, I feel like when those of us who know the story really well, when we read the Easter story, that's kind of how we are with Jesus on the cross. We know that he's going to be in the next scene. We know this story very well. We do this every single year. We know how Easter turns out. And for that reason, we, we really don't pay a lot of attention to Jesus on the cross. His sufferings don't often move us because we know, we know the, the end of the story. We tend to read the story backwards, in other words, from Easter. I'm asking you now, as we make this walk toward Easter together to, to read the story forward with me. And, and don't rush so quickly to Easter because there are moments on the cross for us that I promise you, you don't want to miss. Today's scripture is one of those moments. 
Matthew chapter 27. Going to start in verse 45 and read all the way through to verse 56. Listen, listen. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, sons of Zebedee. Take your seats. Look at this with me. As many times as I've read this story and preached it now, this time through, it's verse 45 that has just really got me stuck. Verse 45 says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. How much time passes in that one verse? Three hours. Three hours in one verse right there, and it goes right by. If you're not careful, you miss that. Three hours. And now remember, the crucifixion of Jesus began at, at 9 o'clock sharp. 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock sharp. We have a, a lot of, of material about what happened in those first three hours or, or so. We know that the crowd was, was active, the crowd was loud. The crowd was ridiculing Jesus, that they were mocking him. We know that there were two other criminals also crucified beside him. We know that Jesus, during those first three hours, he managed to, to utter pieces of words, parts of words, and the Gospels record for us every time Jesus spoke from the cross, something like seven times he, he spoke from the cross. And often we preachers make a, a big deal about the seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross, and, and I've done that as well. The seven things that Jesus says on the cross are, are very, very important for us. But honestly, this time through, it, it's, it, it's this verse. It's what happens at nine. For, for three hours, the, the crowd was loud. For three hours, the, the blood flowed, the, the soldiers were, were crude, and Jesus continued to, to, to punctuate uh, the, the noise with his own words. But, but then at, at noon, at 12 o'clock, the scripture says, darkness fell. Darkness fell. And then for three hours, everything was silent. We have no record, not a word spoken. We have nothing from, from those three hours. Three hours 
of silent darkness. We like to ask ourselves what the words mean when Jesus was speaking from the cross. I guess the question that I want to ask today is, what does this silence mean? Three hours, silent darkness. Lady showed up at her pastor's door one night late. Pastor answered the door, said, you know, sister, how can I help you? It was, it was a lady from his church. He loved her. And she said, Pastor, I've just got to talk to somebody. I've got to talk to you because I'm thinking about taking my own life. I'm at the point of killing myself. She, she came in. She sat down there in, in the pastor's den, and she just started talking. The pastor said, you know, what's happened? What's wrong? I, I know that you've had a hard time. She'd been out of work for about two years. Nobody would hire her. She'd lost her job and, and couldn't find a, another job. This lady, for years and years and years, had struggled with alcohol. She, she, she seriously struggled. And yes, she was a Christian, but, but she just could not stop drinking. She, she, she drank a lot, and, and she had lost about everything she ever had by this point. She said, I've got no reason to live. The pastor said, what about your family? I, I know you've got kids. Can you call your kids? Can your kids help you? And she said, Pastor... I called my son right before I came to you, and, and I told my son that I'm thinking about killing myself, and my son said to me, Mama, why don't you just go ahead and do it and get out of our hair? What do you even say to a woman like that? I mean, I, I don't know how your life has gone, but did you know that that the world allows for, for that kind of loneliness, that kind of suffering. Do you even know what that's like? Because in a moment like that, sometimes it feels like the whole world has abandoned you, but it also feels like God has abandoned you. Have you ever felt that, just that darkness and silence that sometimes you find when you really need God the most? About 20 years ago, I, I was starting out as a chaplain on the cancer floor at Baptist Hospital East in Louisville. It's just 20 years ago, and I didn't know a lot about anything, and, and I didn't know much at all about cancer. The very first day on the floor, I, I was uh, being shown how to chart by one of the nurses, and the first thing I noticed was, was this crying. Now, there was a, a ward full of patients, but, but there was... There was one voice coming from one room, and a lady was just crying, crying. And I asked the nurse, I said, who is that? Do, do we need to go and help that woman? And the nurse said, no, there's nothing to do to help her. She just cries. Her name was Miss Pruitt. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I can't even explain it to you. She cried all day and all night, every day. She never stopped crying. I've never heard crying like that. It, it, it would just break your heart to hear her. And there was nothing you could do. Uh, for, for the life of us, we wish that we could close her door. We wish we could keep other patients from having to hear her cry. You could not protect anybody from Miss Pruitt's crying. She cried nonstop. I would go visit her, and she would just be crying out the whole time. Her husband was right there. He was a man of faith. He was, he was a great man. Mr. Pruitt was a believer, and he was a good man. Mr. Pruitt said that the Sunday before they brought his wife to the hospital, 
They took her to church and they brought her before the church and the pastor had laid his hands on her and prayed for her healing. And the pastor had said at church that day, she's not going to die. She's not going to die. That, that, that's what Mr. Pruitt said. And so he continued to say, my wife's not going to die. She's not going to die. Oh, my goodness. She just lived day after day after day and she just cried. She had this rare kind of skin cancer. And her arms and her body would just, would just crust over with this white crust. And it itched. And she would just cry and claw herself. And, and finally, they soaked gloves in lotion. They soaked gloves in lotions and would tape them to her wrist so that when she scratched, she wouldn't just claw the hide right off her body. She scratched and she cried and she scratched and she cried and her husband would say she's not gonna die she's not gonna die but i just kept thinking god let her die just let her die she cried day after day after day i never knew that the world had that kind of suffering i had never seen anything like that and her faithful husband prayed every single day and he believed with all of his heart that his wife would not die that she would not die oh my goodness the morning she died it was so quiet it was just so quiet so where is god that's the question. That's always the question that people ask when they're suffering. That's always the question that we ask when, when we begin to understand how broken life can become, how lonely we can become, how sick a body can get. That's always our question. Where is God and why is this happening? Where is he and why is this happening? But, but, but if you've ever asked that question, you know by now that no answers are forthcoming. As many times as you ask why God, as many times as you yell and scream and cry and beg and bleed for answers, no answers are coming. We just have never been given a real answer, no real explanation as to why life gets so hard. No real explanation for why some people have to suffer so. There's just no answer. And for all of history, as many faithful people have cried out to God, God hasn't really given us any kind of answer. At least not the kind of answer we're looking for. So please don't miss. Please don't miss. The point in the crucifixion story when it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. There are three hours when Jesus hangs on the cross and suffers in darkness and silence. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means two words. It means God knows. It means God knows. He knows. Jesus is God in the flesh. 
and God in the flesh hung on a cross and he suffered. He suffered silently three hours. I know that when we ask the question of why is there suffering, why do bad things happen, why, we think we want an explanation. We want God to step out of heaven and just explain it to us. Or we want the preacher somehow to show up at the funeral home and explain it to us. We want somebody to tell us why. We want a logical kind of explanation. Somebody that can fill in all the blanks, all the empty spaces in our faith. We just want the answers. But let me tell you something. I want you to understand something. That kind of logical explanation would not help you. It would not help you. Any one of those days at Baptist Hospital, if somebody could have walked up and told me why Miss Pruitt had to suffer like that, it still wouldn't help. It would not silence her crying. It would not in any way ease her suffering. You understand? A logical answer is not going to help, and God knows that. God knows that. And that's why to the great question of why is there suffering, why is God so silent when we need to hear his voice, why God, why? Do you understand? We don't get a logical answer. Instead, what we get is Jesus on the cross. That's the answer we get. Jesus on the cross, God suffering before us, God suffering for us, God suffering with us. God knows what that is. Now, people aren't exactly like God. We have a tendency not to want to be near people who suffer like that. One of the things I learned on the cancer floor is how many people die alone. How many people die alone? I know that you all don't understand this because you probably would not really do this to your loved ones, but I'm telling you, a lot of people die alone. When they get really that sick, when death becomes near, a lot of people, they just scatter. They evacuate. They can't be there. They can't bear to be there. They will not stand beside the bed of someone who's suffering like that. They can't take it. We just tend to move away from people who really begin to to sink low. I remember once when Wade was a little bitty boy. Wade was a little bitty guy. And I got really sick. And then I went to the doctor and I took some antibiotics. And then I had an allergic reaction to antibiotics. So now I'm worse. And I'm laying on the couch just, you know, just, oh my goodness, I was so sick. And and, and Casey will tell you, when I get sick, man, I I take it hard. I, I take it hard. So I'm just laying there. So Wade comes up, he's about this tall, he's just wondering why I'm not, you know, playing with him. So Wade comes up and looks me right in the face and says, Daddy, what's wrong? Well, this is my opportunity to get some pity from from a human being. I said, Wade, I am so sick. Oh, gosh, Wade, I am so sick. Daddy feels so bad. And Daddy went to the doctor and got medicine. And now the medicine, uh, medicine, look at Daddy's lips. The medicine's making Daddy's mouth break out. Man, Daddy's so sick. Wade looked at me a second and he said, I'm glad I'm not you. (laughs) Left. I'm glad I'm not you. Oh my goodness. Yeah, man, that's the whole world. That's how people are. But do you understand? Do you understand that, that at the cross, in our suffering, God came near. God came near, not just to be with us in our suffering, but but to suffer with us, to take our sufferings upon himself. God knows, do you understand? God knows what this is. 
He knows what suffering is. There is no other world religion. There is no other story of any other God. There is none like our God. Our God left heaven, came down, and he suffered, suffered in, in silence. He cries out, my God, my God. Isn't that interesting? God the Son, feeling the separation from God the Father. Now, something happens in the life of God, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, they, they are one, one God. But something happens in the life of God at, at the cross. The very life of God is torn in two. And God the Son now feels the separation from God the Father, crying out, God, my God, why have you abandoned? abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Remember, all through Scripture, whenever Jesus prays, how does he address God? What does he call God the Father? Always he calls him Abba, Daddy. It's the, it's the most intimate expression of relationship. When Jesus talks to God, he always called him Daddy, Abba, Father. But in this moment of separation, he calls him, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? So understand, Jesus himself experiences that, that, that very human, that, that human knowledge of what it means to be God-forsaken. Jesus felt that. He knows that. What it means to be ripped out of the very presence of God. My God, why have you forsaken me? So you understand, for three hours, the earth grows dark. And Jesus suffers silence. So, so I guess you want to ask the same question. It, it's fair. Where's God then? I, I mean, I, I don't know if, if any of that helps you. Maybe now you're just saying that just pushes the question back one, one further step. So where's God when, when Jesus is suffering? If Jesus, God's own son, is crying out, God, why? Why? Where are you, God? Why is this happening? If Jesus himself asked that question, don't you think God would answer I mean, if, if Jesus is experiencing that, that God-forsakenness, don't you think that God would, would somehow give him a sign? Don't you think that God somehow would break that silence, that awful dark silence? Do you think God would have something to say? He does. He does. But you got to zoom out. You, you know what I mean? You got to zoom out. Sometimes in a picture, we zoom way in. We zoom in real close on the details. And often that's how we live our whole lives. My whole life, I tend to be zoomed in on myself. I tend to be focused on, on my circumstances, on, on, on my emotions. I tend to be focused on my problems, my situation, my suffering. I tend to zoom in. I zoom in on my questions, I zoom in on my feelings, I, I just zoom in. And I'm telling you, if to really understand what God is doing at the cross, you've got to zoom out. You, you've got you to reframe this, you, you've got to get a, a bigger picture here, because it's exactly what the Gospel of Matthew does. You don't want to miss this. Go back with me, go back with me. Verse 45, at noon, darkness fell. Okay, stop. Where did the darkness come from? Some people say, well, there must have been an eclipse. 
There must have been some sort of eclipse, and, and the moon goes across the face of the sun, and therefore it was dark for a while. No. No, the, the Jews followed a lunar calendar, and Passover was always going to correspond with a full moon. So understand, this is not the time of any kind of eclipse. There's no natural explanation for why in, in the very middle of the day, all of a sudden, somebody turns out the sunlight. What's happening? What's happening? Again, you got to zoom out. Jesus is on the cross, and he is crying out, my God, my God, why? And it seems like God is silent, but if you'll pay attention, God's doing things. God's showing us, us something. Look what happens. At noon, darkness falls. Do you understand? God sends darkness. God sends darkness. What does that mean? It's something about God interrupting the way the whole universe works in this moment. Something about God who, who sends darkness in the very moment when Jesus, the light of the world, is extinguished. God sends darkness. Verse 51. At that moment, the moment of Jesus' death, at that moment, the, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, stop. Why are we told that? Again, in order to see this, the picture has to zoom way out. You can't just focus on Jesus on the cross. You, you have to zoom out. And we zoom out, and, and at the very moment when Jesus is crying out, in the moment when Jesus dies, something happens at the temple. And Matthew wants you to know about it. You can't miss this. All of you who say, where is God? What is God doing? You've got to understand, God's always doing something. And in that moment, when you're waiting for God's answer of why, why, something happens in the temple. The veil, the, the, the curtain that separated the, the most holy place from all of the rest of the temple. That veil is ripped. It's ripped. Now, who could rip that? Maybe some very, very strong man with a box cutter. I don't know. But if a human being ripped the curtain, in which direction would it be torn? From bottom to top. Do you understand? If someone on earth had done this, it would have to happen from bottom to top. But the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. God does this. God rips the veil in the temple. Why does he do this? What does this mean? What did the veil represent? Separation. The veil at the temple represents separation. That most holy place was the place where they believed God dwelt. God's spirit dwelt there in its fullness. And only the priest one time a year was ever allowed to go through that veil, to step past that curtain. And even then, they tied a rope on his ankle just in case he died in God's presence. They could pull him back out. Nobody goes past that veil. Nobody steps past that curtain. In that curtain, the full, terrible holiness of God dwells. And none of us are given access to that presence of God. Until the cross. Do you understand? God himself rips the curtain. What's he saying? 
No more separation. No more separation. At the cross, God is doing something. God is doing something for the entire world. God is doing something at the cross for you and for me. He's giving us access to himself. Access to himself. No longer, no longer need we stand on the other side of some some barrier knowing that God is on that side and we are on this side. Now we can truly be together with him in his presence to taste his glory and to know his holiness. No separation. God himself rips the curtain. That's not even all. What else happens? What else happens? The earth shook. The earth shook and rocks split apart. What what do you mean? Remember on Palm Sunday when they told Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Tell them to stop praising you. Tell them to be quiet. What did Jesus say? If these children weren't crying out, the, the very rocks would cry out. It's interesting. As Jesus died on the cross, the earth quaked. The earth shook, the rocks split open. What's happening? What's happening? In Scripture, I mean, read your Bible. In Scripture, when does the earth quake? When God's presence is there. In Jewish history, the most famous instance of God's presence and the earthquaking is where? Mount Sinai. When God makes the first covenant with his people, the, the earth trembled and the people were terrified. So what's happening at the cross? The, the earth begins to quake. The rocks split open. What's happening? God's presence is there. So heavy, so powerful, so rich, so direct, so holy. God's presence is there. And what's he doing? What's he doing on Mount Calvary as the earth shakes? He's making a new covenant in the blood of his son. A a new covenant, a new relationship. The the, the earth shakes. And then, what else? Have you ever read anything like this? Have you ever paid attention to this? The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Who brought them back? God brought them back. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to people. The dead walked. The dead walked. Have you ever seen anything like this? The dead walked. God allowed Dead people, people who had died in the Lord, they came back, they walked, they appeared to people. What does it mean? It means that at the cross, in Christ, there's now victory over death. There's there's victory over death. Death, the very last enemy, is defeated. If we have no enemy in death, we have no enemy. If there's not death to fear, there's nothing to fear. When Jesus dies on the cross, the dead wall. So I ask you, was God silent? For three hours, Jesus hung on the cross in in darkness and silence. My God, why? Why? 
Was God silent? Well, he didn't give any kind of explanation, if that's what you're asking. He didn't come and give us words that would explain the, the mystery of suffering, the mystery of salvation. We, we didn't get a lecture or a sermon or, or any kind of PowerPoint presentation. It, if you're looking for words like that, then yeah, God was silent. But, but was God there? more powerfully than you can ever know. Was God trying to say something? Absolutely, darkness fell. The veil in the temple was ripped. The earth shook. The dead walked. In our moments of suffering and darkness, in those moments when it seems like God is so silent, not speaking to us, sometimes we have to zoom out. We just have to zoom out. We have to somehow acknowledge that, that we are part of something so much larger, so much greater, that, that God indeed is doing something for us, but not just for us, for the whole world. We have to zoom out. We have to get eyes to see a, a larger picture. We have to reframe the questions that we're asking. Because if you think for a moment that God has truly abandoned you, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you think for a moment that he's not hearing you as you cry, you're wrong. And if you think he has nothing to say in your suffering, you're painfully wrong. It's just simply this. When you ask the question of, of why is there suffering, when you ask God, why? Why does life have to turn out this way? I never imagined that life permitted this kind of pain. God, why? You just got to understand that the, that the answer he gives us is himself. On a cross, suffering in the same darkness and silence. In your darkness and silence, my friends, please understand, he is with you. He is with you. And he knows what suffering is. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, there, are, there is so much suffering in the world. Lord, some of us living the lives we have lived, we have no idea. We sometimes imagine that we're having bad days, Lord, but we have no idea how bad a day can become. We don't know, but God, you know. You have tasted suffering for us and with us. Lord, sometimes in our pain, we are tempted to, to get angry at you. We, we rail at you. We, we, we demand to know where you are and why you're permitting such suffering, Lord. We often put you on the side of being the one who causes our pain. But God, I pray that we would learn to see Jesus on the cross. And understand that you are not the God who causes our pain. You are the God who steps into our pain and shares it with us. You are God with us. Even in the darkness, 
even in the suffering, even in the silence. You are with us. Lord Jesus, those of us in this house, in the sound of my voice, who feel so alone, who feel so abandoned, who feel, Lord, that as much as they pray, you have no words to answer them, Lord Jesus, I pray that this very moment they will feel themselves sheltered, held in nail-scarred hands. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone in this house who's never said yes to your love, never acknowledged your suffering for their sins, never come and beg forgiveness, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord. I pray for all those suffering, Lord, that today would be the day when they find themselves in the middle of their suffering, strangely comforted by the God who understands. Jesus, be with us now as we make our attempts to worship you, to come to you, Lord. Give us grace. Draw us to yourself that we might know the joy, the peace, the comfort in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.